So we're going to be reading two Bible passages today. The first passage will be from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, or the parable of the lost son, and the second one being Jonah chapter 4, as we're going to be finishing the book. So the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer, be, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has it back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then moving over to Jonah. Chapter 4. All right. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better 
better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not attend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Well, good morning. It's good to share this time with you this morning. Uh, extend Gav's welcome if you're new or visiting us this morning. My name is Jono uh, and I'm the Senior Minister at uh, Grace Anglican Churches. Uh, we're going to look at that passage in Jonah chapter 4, so please keep your Bibles open. But as we come to reflect on God's Word, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts ready to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's the description that we find of God that we find in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. This great declaration of God's character that comes on the lips of Jonah. But really it's said as a complaint. This is who God is and yet Jonah struggles with who God is. Jonah has a problem. He's not on the same page as God. His desires don't match God's desires. As we reflect on Jonah chapter 4 this morning, I want us to examine our own hearts and our own desires. Are we on the same page as God? Do we share his heart? Does that description of God, the gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, does that echo, does that resonate within us? What do we make of God's grace? They're the questions that uh, the Jonah chapter 4 asks of us. Now, I said a few weeks ago that the story of Jonah is a favourite in kids' Bibles and, and uh, Bible story books. But actually, lot, many of those books uh, are not always true to the Bible at, at, at parts. And so have a listen to this um, This. Uh, ending to the, uh, the story of Jonah from one uh, children's Bible. It says, Then God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah went. He told the people to stop being bad. The people listened to Jonah, and they started doing good things. God was glad that Jonah had obeyed. And that's the end of the story, according to that uh, children's Bible uh, story. It kind of it chops off the end of the book. Chapter 4 doesn't even get a Guernsey. And, you know, I can understand why because, well, chapter 4 gives a surprising twist. It's not what we expect to happen. I mean, if you or I were writing the story, I think we'd be tempted to stop at the end of chapter 3 as well. And so the story of Jonah would be, in a nutshell, God says go, Jonah says no, Jonah runs, big storm, man overboard, big fish, Jonah repents. Jonah saved. God says, go. Jonah goes. Nineveh repents. Nineveh saved. They all live happily ever after. That'd be a neat finish to the story. But instead, we get Jonah's reaction, and it's surprising to us. The Ninevites responded to Jonah's warning in chapter 3. We saw that last week. They repented. God didn't destroy them. 
And we might expect that, well, Jonah, one of God's prophets, that he would be thrilled. He'd be, he would praise God. I mean, talk about an effective preaching campaign. The whole city repented and God saved them. But we don't get that response. Instead, Jonah spits the dummy. His reaction is, is surprising, to say the least. Look there at verse 1. Verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Well, the ESV translates it as, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The, the, the fact that God didn't destroy the Ninevites angered Jonah. He couldn't get over this. In fact, he said that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah's angry that God saved the Ninevites. In fact, he's so angry, he says that he wants to die. Verse 3, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, this may seem a little bit over the top to us. I mean, why does, why does he... Why doesn't he want God to save them? But perhaps Jonah's reaction is, well, is not so strange when we remember who the Ninevites were. As we've seen over these past weeks, that the Ninevites were this evil superpower. They were hell-bent on taking over the world and they threatened and destroyed anyone who stood in their path. Perhaps in a way that, that we kind of struggle to understand in our context of, of peace and security. The Ninevites were Israel's national enemy. Nahum chapter 3 describes them as people of murder, violence, evil and destruction. And so maybe as we, as we come to grasp that, the surprise here for us is not in Jonah's response, but in God's response. How could he forgive and save these evil people? See, there's a mismatch between, between Jonah and God. What Jonah desires, what God desires. And again, it, it raises the question for us, what do we desire? Who do we side with in this? Now, Jonah's full-on uh, dummy spit shows us that there's a problem with his heart. And so God then teaches him a lesson. Verse 4, But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. There's Jonah sitting outside the, the city. He's made himself some sort of shelter. The, the word shelter there is actually booth, um, which with our Old Testament glasses on might remind us of the, the festival of booths, uh, an annual celebration where the, the Jews lived in temporary shelters for seven days while they rejoiced and, and remembered how God had saved them from Egypt, how he'd uh, had them live in temporary shelters as they journeyed through the desert. And so there's Jonah in his booth, but he's not remembering and rejoicing in God's salvation. He's angry at God's salvation, and he's watching the city, hoping that, that maybe God will change his mind again. Maybe he will bring judgment on Nineveh after all. Maybe God will see just how evil these people really are and destroy them. Perhaps Jonah's hoping for some sort of Sodom and Gomorrah repeat with burning sulfur raining down on Nineveh, just without the pillar of salt bit. 
But as Jonah sits there, waiting to see what would happen, God, in his patient mercy, provides for Jonah. He says, verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. God is the God who provides a, a dwelling place for his people. Perhaps again, this is alluding to God's provision for Israel. And notice Jonah's response, verse, end of verse 6, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. Literally, it says, and Jonah rejoiced with great joy concerning the plant. This is making a point. This is the opposite response, the opposite end of the spectrum to his response to God saving the Ninevites. In the original language, both responses use the same sentence structure. Jonah was greatly displeased and angry about the Ninevites. Here, he's greatly pleased and rejoicing about the plant. It's making the point, the point about where Jonah's heart is. Well, having provided the plant, God then, verse 7, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind for good measure to, to drive the point home to say, Jonah, who is in control here? Who provides life? Who takes it away? Well, predictably, Jonah spits the dummy again. Verse 8, he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. These two dummy spits are sort of bookends either side of this object lesson from God with the vine and the worm and the wind. And then God applies the lesson. It's as if God says, Jonah, what are our priorities here? What are we concerned about? And he draws Jonah out, verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I know, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah's, Jonah's passionate about this plant. I mean, he's a man of extremes. He initially, he's very happy about the plant, rejoicing exceedingly. And then when it's gone, he's so angry he wants to die. Nineveh, on the other hand, 120,000 people heading for eternal destruction. Is Jonah concerned for their salvation? No, not at all. And God patiently prods him. You're concerned about a plant. Shouldn't I be concerned about these people? The final mention um, of the animals of Nineveh is a little obscure. Um, it, on the one hand, it could just be emphasising the, the greatness of the city. You know, it has many animals, so an important resource to the city. But I wonder if God is kind of making a subtle dig at Jonah, this guy who seems so passionate for plants but doesn't care for people. Well, what about animals? Do you care for them, Jonah? And that's where Jonah finishes. Did Jonah learn the lesson? We don't know. The book leaves it hanging in spectacular fashion. But what we do know is that Jonah's desires well, were not aligned with God's. God's heart is for the lost. 
Even these evil, wayward people of Nineveh who were, who were rightly and justly going to be destroyed. God, in his grace, in his compassion, he relented and saved them. God loves to save people. But Jonah, he loves himself and his own comfort. He's more concerned about the comfort from a plant than for the salvation of thousands of people. And perhaps this is a significant part of the message of the book of Jonah to to a stiff-necked and hard-hearted Israel. God's salvation extends beyond Israel. God's grace and compassion extends to the world. And so the message of the book of Jonah to Israel, faced with the threat of exile, is to not sit in the comfort of the God-provided dwelling of the promised land, looking with condemnation upon your enemies and not realising that just as God provided a dwelling for you, so too he can take it away. And in the storyline of the Bible, Israel, like Jonah, well, they did rebel with a hard heart that wasn't aligned with God's heart. And God's provision was taken away from them. But in his great compassion and steadfast love, God's ultimate provision was to provide his son as the dwelling place, as the place to to rejoice in the salvation from God's judgment. And he calls on us to share his heart, to share his mission to this world full of people who do not know their right hand from their left. So brothers and sisters, let me ask, where is your heart? I'd be surprised if any of us have done a Jonah um, and, and lost the plot over someone getting saved or bec- and becoming a Christian. But that doesn't mean that our, our heart is aligned with God's. Come, take a trip with me. From the comfort of our lounges, we're going up in the air about 1,700 metres above Norellan Town Centre, looking north over Harrington Park, Harrington Grove, Catherine Park, north up Cannon Valley to, to Gregory Hills, to Gledswood Hills, We've actually gone back in time about three years because this is what our area looked like in March 2018. Uh, It's changed a bit since then. And as we sit in the booth of our Google Earth imagery, we don't even have to leave the comfort of our lounge. We can sit with our air-conditioned plant sheltering our heads. What do we see? We see this great community, these suburbs. We see 47,000 people. I guess looking north, we see many cattle as well, cattle who will move aside for many more thousands of people in the years to come. Each of these people who live in these little boxes, who are they? They're mums and dads, they're kids and grandparents, plumbers, shop assistants, teachers. Before God, without Jesus, spiritually, they, like all of us, don't know their right hand from their left. And where is my heart? What am I concerned for? I'll tell you what God's concerned for, where God's heart is. He's concerned for them. His heart beats for them. He sent his son for them. God stepped into this world, this broken, sinful world, and lived and taught and loved and suffered and died and rose again for them. God's heart is for the lost. He wants to save people. He wants to save you. You already know that if you're a Christian. God loves to save people like you and me. Sinners with all our quirks and failings and selfishness and stuff-ups and insecurities. He is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and abounding in love. He's a God with a heart for the lost. He's concerned for people's salvation. That story that Seth read for us, that Jesus told of the the prodigal son, the, the, the son who basically said, drop dead dad, and then took his inheritance and squandered it on prostitutes and nightclubs. Eventually woke up to himself and decided he'd go home and and asked to become one of his father's servants. How did the father respond? He didn't turn him away and say, no, mate, you've blown it. He didn't scold him and and send him off. He he didn't even reluctantly have him back as a servant. No, when when he first sees his son at a distance, he runs to him. He throws his arms around him, kisses him, puts a a robe on his back, a ring on his finger. He throws a huge party for him. He is delighted to welcome home his wayward lost son. God is the father of extravagant compassion and grace who seeks and saves the lost. He welcomes home sinners like, like you and me. Friends, rejoice and rest in God's grace towards you. And allow that to shape your heart. God, uh, the book of Jonah presents a, a challenge to us, albeit a fairly extreme one. And, and we ought to examine our hearts to see if, well, if we're actually a bit like him. Now, perhaps you're not like Jonah. I hope you're not. Perhaps your heart is beating in time with God's. Perhaps you, you look out on these suburbs, this parish, and you, your heart goes out to the people. You cry, Father, have mercy on us. Save the people of Camden Valley. And when you hear of of someone accepting Christ as Lord and Saviour, you rejoice. And when you hear an an opportunity to tell others of Jesus, you're there with bells on. You get behind it and put yourself out to make it happen, whatever the cost. Maybe that's where your heart is. I hope it is. Or maybe you're suffering a bit of Jonavitis, where our, our hearts kind of don't align with God's. Where we're, well, really, we're more concerned for our own comfort, our, our very pleasing temporary dwelling that, just like Jonah, we're pretty happy with. Maybe it's our material possessions, our career aspirations, our house, our renovation, our hobbies, really nice, comfortable, pleasurable things, which in and of, you know, of themselves are fine and then good things to thank God for as he provides them. But friends, we need to see things for what, what they are. They're They're God-given plants that are here today and gone tomorrow. And we need to see what matters more than those things. Jonavitis is a heart problem. But, you know, it's also a vision problem. That is, we need to see the need. The problem is that that often we don't see the problem. Uh, People are are comfortable and, and often they seem to kind of have life together. And I mean, aside from the constraints of this current lockdown, life seems pretty good most of the time. So what's the problem? The problem is that without Jesus, they, like, like all of us, are just like the Ninevites. Spiritually, they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know God, the one who created them, who sustains them. They don't know or acknowledge him. And without God, people just set about trying to get on with life the best way they know how, but they try to leave God parked off to the side or perhaps try to shut him right out. All people have the same problem. They're rebelling against God. They need Jesus. They need to know and trust and follow Jesus. 
47,000 people need Jesus, plus another 20,000 who are moving in soon. The father with the teenage son going off the rails, he needs Jesus. The stressed-out mum trying to juggle it all, she needs Jesus. The successful Aussie bloke who feels like he's got it all, he needs Jesus. The kid whose parents are, are tearing the world apart, they all need Jesus. Without Jesus, people are lost. Spiritually, they can't tell their right hand from their left. Once we see the problem, once we see ourselves and others through God's eyes, then we can see the need and our response can line up with God's response. We, we can come into step with him. So how do we get on board with, with God's mission? Well, firstly, you need to know that God wants to save you. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love for you. So recognize your need. Turn to him and trust him. Rest and rejoice in his grace. Secondly, know that God wants to save others. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And there are people in this Camden Valley area that, that he wants to save. Despite the constraints of this lockdown, God's word is not constrained. God's mission is not constrained. And we might feel constrained in so many ways, but actually the most important thing that we can do is not constrained either. And that is to pray. James 5 verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God, the, the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe, chooses to, to use and work through our prayers. To, so pray for people. Pray that God would do what he loves to do, to have mercy on people and to save them. Pray that God would, would open people's hearts to receive his word and respond in repentance and faith. Pray for your neighbours, for your friends, for your family, for, for the people in our community. If you're already doing that, great. Keep doing it. You know, when Jesus looked out over the crowds of people from his Google Earth booth, 1,700 metres up, so to speak, he, he had compassion on them because they were, in the Bible's words, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Friends, will you do that? Will you devote yourself to prayer? Will you pray with me for the people of our communities? Rest and rejoice in God's grace to you in Jesus. Allow that to, to anchor you and to compel you to give yourself wholeheartedly to see God transform and save people by his grace. God's mission might, might push us outside of our comfort zone. It might even push us to do something that we don't want to do. If it does, I think we've got to at least ask ourselves if we're being a Jonah. Are our priorities and desires maybe not aligned with God's? See, there was another son in that story that Jesus told. He was a good bloke. He, he didn't go off and squander his inheritance. He worked hard. He 
obeyed his father. He got on with his life, doing the right thing, pulling his weight back home on the farm. Until one day that ratbag brother came home. How did the older brother respond? He didn't want him back. He didn't share his father's heart. Instead, what was he interested in? His own life, his own share, his own standing, his own status. Friends, let's not be the older brother. Let's not be a Jonah. Let's see God's heart for the lost and throw ourselves behind his mission. It may cost us. We may have to give up our Jonavitis. But Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. God calls us to mission because he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who loves to save lost sinners. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You relent from sending calamity. Our Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus, for providing an eternal dwelling place with you, saved from your judgment. Father, please, please anchor us in your grace. Please shape our heart that we would not be like Jonah, that we would not pursue our own comfort, our own will, but that we would rest and rejoice in your grace, that we'd give ourselves to your mission to seek and save those who are lost. Now, Father, we do pray for those around us, for the harvest fields around us, for the many thousands of people who spiritually do not know their right hand from their left. Father, have mercy on them. And as our Lord Jesus called us to, we ask, we ask you to send out workers into your harvest field that many may be saved for your praise and your glory. Amen.